You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Welcome everyone to Changing the Game. I'm being you know, on vacations myself, a few weeks away, so now I'm back, 2022. I have a very special guest today with me. That's Esther O. Esther is a friend, and for disclaimer, today will be a bit awkward as well because we are actually in the same room. So, but we are here looking at our our own cameras to make sure that you know your experience is the best possible if, if you watch when you watch this video. So, Esther, I'll read her bio and then we go, you know, straight for uh, for the interview. So, Esther bio is quite. Uh, it's quite, you know, overwhelming. It's quite confronting because she did, she had done, she has done everything. Esther has multiple qualifications in IT, commerce, law. Has a passion to upskill the next generation. She's serving boards and committees with the Cut University, ECU University, uh, uh, CPA Australia, the Citic, uh, Citic Pacific Company. Uh, she has also been uh, appointed. Have a ministerial appointment to to reform TAFE, so good experience in education as well. So it was a traumatic experience that brought uh, Esther for her uh, journey as an entrepreneur, right? So she had some personal experiences. I think she will share some of that today with us. Uh, that took her to actually uh, deploy extended reality and artificial reality to make critical mission critical applications uh, is smarter. So I'm very curious about, you know, to hear more about that. Uh, Esther has also been recognized uh, quite significantly in the industry as well. She has uh, been awarded as the 40 under 40, the, Globe, the Entrepreneur Institute Global Impact, Hong Kong Australian Business Award, Cybersecurity Technology Award, or the list goes on, WA in November of the year, so let's say, you know, let's cut me short in reading her bio and let's uh, go to Esther. Esther, welcome. It's a privilege to have you. So uh, welcome to the show. And I always start with this question. So Esther, I read your impressive bio, but who is Esther? What is about Esther that's not in that bio that you're happy to share with us? Yeah. Okay, thanks Wilson for having me on your podcast. Well, I would say I'm I'm just a mother who, who uh, went through some traumatic experiences, as um, you shared, that actually transformed my vision. And I want to uh, be able to use technology to solve a lot of the problems that we see today. So that's uh, that's quite interesting. So, uh, what technologies, Esther? What, what what is that you're doing? So I'm the founder of Agiliate. So Agiliate, where most people call us Agile 8, but it's actually Agiliate, which is an adjective meaning empowered to work smarter, faster, safer. 
And we do this by using extended reality plus artificial intelligence integrated into one solution where we call it X-ray vision. So basically with that, we empower people, particularly on the front line and people who have to do mission critical work whereby time is of essence and lives are at risk to be able to connect to remote specialists um, or to artificial intelligence who will guide them through this um, often very complex and uh, time sensitive kind of procedures. So uh, if I get it right, so you mentioned about field services connecting to remote centers. So I'm, I'm wondering that means uh, in, in health, for instance, so you have, uh, you know, uh, the field uh, emergency services, you know, attending some sort of situations, uh, but not always they have all the capabilities or, or, or you know, possibilities that they, they need to solve a problem. Then you have uh, someone, specialist in a remote center and they communicate and work together the problem. Is that, is that what this is about? Yeah, in fact, uh, I'd like to tell you a story about how Agilia started, because uh, I founded this company when my very healthy son actually lost his vision through the uh, misdiagnosis and the delays as a result of the first doctor not knowing how serious his condition is. And I realized that this problem is not just um, you know, an, a misfortunate event that happened to me. It actually affects more than 136 million people every year globally, mm. of which 80% of these deaths and permanent disabilities are preventable. So that's why you know, I decided that the bigger problem to solve here is not finding a cure for, for, for my son because we know that it's permanent and irreversible damage, but we know that there is a huge knowledge gap. So the first doctor who saw him and even up to the second specialist didn't have that knowledge of the last professor that we saw who told me that, you know, your son's vision could have been saved if the first doctor actually knew how serious it was and sent him to emergency for intravenous steroids um, infusion. Mm -hmm. So that's when I realized that it's so important for the person, the first person on the front line to be able to accurately diagnose that, okay, this is a serious problem. And if they don't have that knowledge, we are able to push our knowledge to the edge, you know, right where they are on the spot, whereby they could make the right decision at the right time, rather than having this time delay, which would have cost a person's vision or cost a person's life. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry to hear your stories there, Esther. So uh, uh, it's quite... Uh, uh, I, I, I can only imagine what we, you know, you've been through. So now you're innovating to actually uh, uh, impact the lives of others that can potentially come uh, through the same, uh, same experience that you had. So, uh, so you, and you use innovation for that. Esther, what, what innovation means for you? Well, I think innovation is basically problem solving. And it's problem solving um, using different perspectives. So you look at the problem from different perspectives. And at the same time, you actually think out of the box, you know, of all the potential um, possibilities that you could use um, and the options that you could deploy in order to solve that problem in the most practical and cost-effective way. And for me, innovation, basically, I started on this journey because of, you know, what happened to my son. And I think it starts, innovation starts from a deeper 
renewal or transformation of your mind. You know, you've got to think out of the box like, like other parents, I could be wallowing in pity and feeling sorry for my son mm. and, and blaming the doctors who didn't get it right the first time. Mm. But instead of that, I actually took the other way. I actually saw the, uh, the bigger problems is that our front, lines, our front line doctors are often also under severe pressure, mm. stress, um, time constraints, and they need help as well. And that's when, you know, I actually innovated the solution that we have right now that not only save lives, you know, save the patients and their families, you know, of all the heartache, but also protect and save the lives of our people who are saving our lives. Very nice. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in love with adventure. That's, uh, that's awesome. So, uh, I, I wonder about the journey. I wonder about you know how 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 you're coming about it. Have you do you have in your experience because read your bio before you have this sort of amazing experience. So have you had any uh, startups before or this is the first time? No, actually, interestingly, I've uh, dabbled in a in different ventures. Actually, initially as an angel investor, <laughs> so I was actually I invested in twelve tech startups as an angel investor before starting this. And I've also got another award-winning company wow. that I started as well, you know, after I left my um, high-flying corporate career. Um, but this one is really something that is started out of, you know, out from my heart because it's not just problem solving, but it's also seeing that the world needs more people to realize that there's a lot more we can do to make this world a better place. That's very nice. So uh, interesting. So you mentioned then that you you actually had some some experience before as an entrepreneur, but more than that, so you had experience as an investor. Yes. So that's a uh, that's unique. That's unique for 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 a company founder. So uh, did that experience of having been an investor before? Did it have help you anyway in, in in raising funds for the venture that you're going through now? How how is that you know capital raising journey has been for you so far? Well, it's very interesting because um, having helped other startups, you know, um, being an investor in their company and also helping them raise capital, but more like you know as a friend, um, it's very interesting because the emotions are different. You know, as an investor, of course, the due diligence, you know, the different, the process that you go through um, from two different sites is actually quite an interesting journey because I get to see and feel how it feels to be a founder and how it feels to be like an investor. Um, having that knowledge of an investor really helps because then I really know how investors think and how the kind of questions you will ask you during a Q&A. Um, and also, you know, being a founder, because, I mean, of my experience as an investor, it also helps me to manage my risk more prudently. So I know how to manage the risk better and also be able to um, stand in the shoes of investor as I'm presenting as well. So as we pitch to the Thanks. different investors, I'm able to also see things from their point of view. Mm. So that that's uh that's very interesting. So uh, it gives you perception that you know that the perspective of the investor then it helps mm -hmm. you to pitch. So 
is anything in your journey so far you can share with us? Has you have you have you raised capital? Uh, how is uh, Agile Light coming along? Well, we are actually probably one of the most. Uh, um, um, I would say that we actually accomplished a lot as a young startup. So in our first year of just prototyping, we won a couple of awards for our innovation and even for our cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, and we, I actually, I probably, we might have to go into the world Guinness stop record, you know, for raising the, like we raised a lot of money from overseas. We've just been one hour Zoom call. So basically, we finished and we uh, we have a, a oversubscription for our shares, and it's but of course it's not always rosy pink. I can tell you that it's actually quite um, difficult as an Asian female migrant in mm. Australia to raise capital. Um, you'll be surprised at the amount of discrimination as well as the unconscious bias. I've even got some you know, um, capital funds who said, we really love your technology. We believe you guys can deliver, but you need to have a male oh. Caucasian CEO as the face of the company because, you know, that's how it works. Uh, and I was telling them that, no, that's not how it works. Did you actually hear that? <laughs> yes. Uh, and it was oh. actually quite atrocious in the sense that, you know, back where I'm from, so I, I was born in Singapore, but I came to Australia when I was 17 on a scholarship yeah. and studied in Monash. Um, in Asia, we never had this male and female disparity so big. In fact, you know, I've always grown up thinking that nothing is impossible. <laughs> you know, basically, I don't care whether you're male or female, you're yellow skin or dark skin. Yeah. We never had this concept that, oh, you can't have a female and an Asian and a migrant yeah. um, being a CEO of the company. You need to put somebody handsome looking, somebody who's male, somebody who's white in order to raise capital. And like, I mean, to me, that is just uh, quite atrocious. When I heard that, I thought that's weird because in Asia, we don't have that kind of concept. In fact, if you, and I worked all internationally in many countries, and in Hong Kong, you would see, or even in China, you see all the most of like even the police commissioner or the people high in the hierarchy are women. And nobody would say that, oh, you can't have a female and you can't have a migrant uh, running the business because you are just because of your gender. So that's, that's so interesting. You know, so much, so much packed in your, your body just said. So first of all, I think you, you chose a perfect word, word. That's atrocious, right? So I, I, I can't believe that that. Uh, so we know we know that there is the you know the uh, the sort of uh, prejudice still there. So uh, but to be told face you know in your face that that's something that's gonna you know is uh, preventing you to get to where you you want to. That's uh, that's atrocious. That that's a good word. So uh, I was going to ask you a question about you know your experience as a female entrepreneur so you already you already gave uh, you know the best example you could give which is not good so uh the other interesting thing you mentioned is that uh you've been able to do the capital raising uh via zoom which is quite uh well that's uh that's not new anymore right so in the last two years because of the you know our, our inability to travel and to and to see investors you know face to face 
that's happening to some people, but uh, it's quite interesting that you were able to get that and you were able to get that from overseas. So uh, it, is a, it is a shame. So on, on the, uh, the gender issues that we talked about before, so you also not the first one that mentioned to me. So I was uh, talking uh, with a Chinese woman the other day and, and I asked the question about, you know, the, uh, how it was to grow up as being a female and whether that was uh, challenging or not. And her response was that, you know, in, in, in China, uh, she didn't feel at all that because she was a woman, she couldn't do this, or she couldn't do that, the other way around. So, you know, she works in a STEM uh, career and her parents, her community, they all, you know, praise her for that, for wanting that. And, you know, that she was celebrated to, for wanting to be a scientist. So, mm -hmm. which, yeah, now that's, uh, that's not too common in the Western countries, I guess. So that's what we have been have, have seen around. So wow. So then you you've been able to achieve a lot in this short time of your venture. So you raise capitals via zone and overseas. So uh, and, you, and you had those sort of uh, challenges uh, to get there for being female. So I have a I have a question that's related to to education. So what caught my attention when I read your bio was uh, your education uh, background. You know, as uh, it goes in IT, commerce, law, and it's actually have that sort of diverse job backgrounds. And how do you think that uh, helped or not? And would you have done it again? So how how is how was that sort of uh, high education journey for you? Yeah, I mean, as a child, I always love to learn. I'm still learning right now. I'm constantly absorbing new information and learning from other people. Um, given my double degrees in you know, commerce and technology and even a master's in law, I think it really helps um, because it trains different parts of the brain, right? And you look mm -hmm. at the neuroplasticity of the brain, it also puts you through different kind of um, environment to learn. And one of the key things when I was doing my master in law is to realize that while well, lawyers are trained and they think very differently from accountants, for instance, <laughs> right? So accountants are trained to be very compliant, you know, there's black and white rules, you know, this is how you operate. Um, lawyers is like, oh, I'm always thinking about what are the loopholes I could exploit. <laughs> so different kind of uh, skill set, a different kind of thinking. But I think having that all-rounded education, like, you know, in terms of technology, it helps me a lot in the problem solving, in the analytical side, um, troubleshooting and implementing something new. And having the commerce or what we call the social sciences side, you know, where you deploy a bit of your psychology, you deploy quite a lot of the EQ involved, um, also helps in, you know, adapting to different challenges in the workplace. And obviously, having that legal background helps you to know, you know, what are some of the legal impediments to you implementing something new. So um, definitely encourage people to always look beyond your discipline. So, you know, try and get to know how different disciplines operate and how they think, because that really helps you, you know, when even when you work on a project where you have multidisciplinary team, you are able to appreciate their differences from you and be able to come um, towards a consensus that works as a win-win solution for all. That's interesting. So I'll pick on that and I'll ask you the next question. So if, uh, 
if you're a teenager, if a teenager is, uh, you know, undoubt about what to do, university and etc. So go this way, go that way. What would you say? Well, um, for people in high school, I would always recommend them to explore and you know, I would always like to, I always encourage, so for my own children, I always encourage them to go and master the art of the impossibility. And what mm -hmm. do I mean by that? I mean that in our education system, we are often taught to, you can't do this, you can't do that. Even our legal system was saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. So our children grow up with this mindset of, I can't. So the can't word is a very big word in their vocabulary. But what we should really do is that we should give them very safe, stimulated environments, give them a problem to solve, give them something that is challenging, that helps them to get out of the I can't mindset to I can. Because that's very empowering when you act, when the you know when the young young people can actually experience that wow. I can actually solve this problem on my own or I can solve this problem with my friends or I can overcome this difficulty mm. because of all the different things that we've put together. So I think that's really something that is lacking in our education system. And the fact that while it's very encouraging to see that our governments all over the world are encouraging STEM subjects, yeah. but at the same time, I think we have to encourage our children to, you know, even learn some of the arts and the social sciences, you know, the psychology of human behavior, for instance, is very interesting yeah. and it's actually very useful. So as much as we want to emphasize on the IQ part, I always like to also balance it with, you know, hands-on EQ part. And I think that's where all these simulated um, case studies or, you know, problems or projects that you can put them yeah. um, to experience all these different diversity will really help them to choose their career choices down the track. That's fantastic. So uh, I'm hearing you, so I don't feel like a, a, a crazy person because you know, every time that I look at these different things that I decided to study and, you know, as an engineer that likes philosophy, I look at... I might be a you know alien. So then hearing what you're saying, so no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no, okay. you company. <laughs> company. It looks like I'm okay. Mm -hmm. So um, Esther, so when you when you when you did some angel investing, so what how you choose the investments you went for? Ah, this is a very interesting question because there's actually different facets that I will look at. Yeah. So obviously, from the accounting perspective, you know, you'll be looking obviously at the financials and the projections. Okay. Um, often with startups, because they don't have historical performance, you find that you, you can actually, with experience, you can actually easily tell, you know, between a blue sky assumption and versus one that is realistic. Yeah. And given the fact that um, I've been in the audit profession and, you know, in technology auditing and in, in internal audit as well, I'll be able to really decipher what is real versus what is not yeah. uh, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so definitely um, I would um, look at, you know, the financial side, but I also look at the founders you know, the founders who are passionate or who have a real reason, like I look at their why, you know, why did they start this company? Yeah. You know, is it just 
for pure financial gains or is it something that will um, you really push them to the boundaries and will really um, stretch them to do something like I think it's always um, good that if they are looking at the bigger vision than themselves it's not just you know um, for their own financial gain but I look at what is the purpose of their company why does their company exist in the first place right having that mission and that a vision which is very clearly articulated is important as well. And then also thirdly, I look at the team, you know, so it's not just the founders, but do they have the capabilities of the team to deliver what they want to do? Um, so I think these are at least the very basics I would look at. Um, and also, I think it's also their synergy. You know, you will talk to some startup founders and it's like immediately you get it like immediately you click well and then you will also come across some who is like you will sit there listening to their pitch and you don't really know what they're talking about <laughs> so, yeah. so that's um potentially maybe because they can't articulate their vision or their, their what they're trying to achieve very well but also it could be you know just that synergy is not there because I mean as an angel investor you know that you are putting quite a lot of risk on when by venturing into these startups yeah um, so you want to be able to work with these people and also help them so you know not just or chuck them a, a chunk of money but you really want to be able to look at oh how can I help this startup like is it in a relevant field where I can really value add to them or I can bring some introductions or you know I would have other friends who will be their potential investors who can actually help them grow the business. So I think it's always a two-way street. It's not just one way, but uh, rather it's, it's a, it's a synerg synergistic kind of relationship, I would say. Yeah. Pretty good. So uh, that was your, your as an investor. Then uh, come to a new venture. So... Uh, what is next? So you, you've got some investments from overseas, uh, some overseas uh, capital, uh, and now you're going for where, where you are now and what you know, uh, the future holds for you guys. Mm. So we were actually very strategic. In fact, we would also say that we are very selective of what money would take. In fact, we've actually rejected some funds who even offered double the money for the same amount of equity mm. um, because they were not the right people for us. And I think it's very important that you always have the people, whether they are investors or whether they are your co-workers, your staff, or your even your you know, customers, that they actually know why you exist and what you're doing, right? So that you actually have a common goal that you're trying to achieve, that you can actually get your mission um, done. Yeah. So uh, from that perspective, um, it's always useful to, you know, project with the right team that you could project your growth in a more realistic way. Mm -hmm. So at the moment with Agiliate that we've raised the capital that we required, we can actually um, expedite what we try to do because in technology is sometimes it's not about the innovation it's actually about the speed to market yep. you know it's how fast can you deliver this solution mm -hmm. to where the greatest need is and where your customers are willing to pay so that's 
where we are at the moment, um, we're working a couple of clinical trials right now with uh, some of the very renowned um, um, professors. And we're very fortunate when we decided who to go with for our capital, mm. we've got professional doctors, yeah. surgeons who exactly know the problem we're solving. Mm. So they also help us refine our solution with the expertise. Mm. Um, and they are the ones who are backing us up. So it's incredible to have people who know what you are doing to back you up because that doubles up your credibility to know that you're solving a real problem that people are willing to put money in. So very nice. So good. So uh, it looks like you have a, a nice future in the, uh, not, you know, a nice future. And, and very nice challenges to go through as well. So Esther, I have a, uh, a question in, in terms of what you said. So you mentioned that you had an opportunity to take more capital or, some, or, or, or eventually even, you know, same capital, but in a better deal for you. So you decided not to. So the aspect of that that I want to ask you is the, so uh, I'm pretty sure having this chat with you that you had recognized that having that offer of capital is quite a privilege, right? So, and, and not everybody has that. So, and, and you guys could achieve that. So what do you think was key for you to be able to attract that investment interest? Mm. Well, first of all, me and my co-founder, we all have track records in business. So we are not like new startups, like fresh grads who don't know what we're doing. We've actually got successful businesses to back us up. That means we know how to run the business. Yep. And we've also got the right connections. And I think that's really important because we've got credibility in industries and having that connection, you know, it's, it only takes one hour for us to pitch to them. You know, compared to not having a connection and you having to try, I see a lot of startups, what they do is that they'll engage all kinds of capital funds to try and raise money for them. They go for crowdfunding platforms and pay a ton of money for them, but they are not very effective. Yeah. You know, the other way that you sh they should really look at their fundraising strategy is to first identify what sort of money you are after, what kind of investors you want, you know, it might be angel investors, it might be friends and family who don't mind you losing money. It might be venture capitalist funds who have a lot of, you know, international networks that could springboard your products and services overseas. Yeah. Um, you've got to pick the right partners to work with you. Because I've also seen a lot of startups, they get stifled by the wrong investors yeah. and investors who literally run the company for them. And then the founders, if they don't have a very strong passion and the mission of what they're doing, they just get led by the nose. Yeah. And that's not where you want to go. I mean, you need to have that kind of um, having the right team. That's why I can't overemphasize that. It's very crucial. And the right team also includes the investors who are on board with you because I always treat my investors like family because you have that accountability. You've got that relationship with them yeah. that you... Obviously, on one hand, as the founder, you want to do the very best that you can to return their ROI for them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just beyond that financial accountability. Yeah. You know, the fact that they have that trust in you, they have that faith in you. It's almost like a parent having the faith in their child will excel in school, right? So it's, it's that kind of 
um, mindset and the fact that because you know we've always delivered and we know I mean the people who invest in us they know that we are the kind of person who do whatever it takes right as long as we operate in the legal ambits of what we're doing yeah. um, to to get our goals achieved and I think that that unwavering kind of how would I say it's unwavering persistence to uh, to do you know and achieve what we promised uh, are, are very important. In fact, I mean, when we sent out our first um, shareholders update, we've already exceeded. We even exceeded a lot of our KPIs that we set for ourselves, um, and they are quite hard KPIs. They are not like you know very easy KPIs to make it achievable, but they are quite hard KPIs. We've exceeded them, and we actually achieved them faster than we expected. So this is fantastic, Esther. So uh, look. Funny enough, so I mentioned that in the beginning uh, with you. So these uh, our podcasts, our show goes for 30 minutes sort of thing. So and, and that time passes like, right? So mm-hmm. we actually reached that 30 minutes mark already. Mm-hmm. So I am fascinated, right? So um, I, I have been working in this environment, uh, in this ecosystem with, you know, startup founders, investors, and, you know, myself trying to learn more about this environment. And, and you encompasses so much of those things that the theory talks about. Uh, there are uh, maybe two key things that I look at you, and uh, you know, this is these uh, are uh, like the brainless things. We all know that we need it, but you kind of walk the talk. One is your passion for what you do. It comes out in every word you speak, so it's, it's quite fascinating. And there is no doubt that you are a hard worker. So, uh, <laughs> and look, uh, we'll have to finish it because you know we're not leaving too long for not to for our for our listeners and our readers to to to, uh, to be happy to with. So, thank you very much. It's a privilege to you know to have you in the show. And the only last question that I will ask you is. Uh, Esther, if a young women entrepreneur want to, you know, to, to create a venture, but is uncertain, is stressed with all these things about what you can do, so what would you be your advice for that young woman? Mm, there's actually quite a few of these um, female-founded programs or even what we call venture capital funds. Um, for example, scale investors in the eastern states, they particularly back uh, female founders. Yeah. Um, and then in WA, with just one of my good friends, um, a couple of my good friends, I would say, have started VentureX. So that's an education kind of platform where they connect both founders and investors and to you know really talk about some of these taboo topics, perhaps, that people don't talk about mm-hmm. um, and be able to have that kind of you know, um, highly transparent conversations with those who have been there and done it before. Um, so that kind of mentorship is really helpful. And always don't be afraid of your own gender. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, often it actually could be quite advantageous being a female asking for help because I don't know that uh, having worked in very male-dominated industries, men actually tend to have this um, problem of not asking for help 
Mm. Whereas for female, it's quite natural. I mean, we don't really feel that oh, there's a loss of face or whatever. Yeah. Just go and find the right people who are able to help you yeah. and just humbly ask them for assistance. You find that most of the time, most people are very generous with their time and their networks and they're able to share with you yes. and even give you some great wisdom or ideas of how you can go about your startup. So yes, just don't be afraid and just have the courage to be yourself. You know, you don't have to fit into a certain certain kind of shoe or you don't have to wear to be to look like a certain kind of person. Um, just have the courage to be yourself and just ask humbly um, and you'll find that, you know, a lot of people will be willing to help you. Very nice. Uh, Esther, thank you again. It has been a privilege. I'm very grateful to have you. Almost welcome. Thanks, Wilson. Uh, everyone there, thank you for listening. And we'll be back soon with another fantastic guest in the Changing the Game. Thank you.